Well, I have to say, I've not been in cahoots with Laura. <laughs> but I felt this morning, she's read my script. <laughs> no, no need to apologize. I take that, that that's God. And that's, that's the Holy Spirit just prompting what, it, what he wants to bring. So I don't know about you, whether you love Christmas or whether you're one of these people that are waiting for the 1st of January when it's all over. But as a church, we felt this year it would be really good over the coming weeks leading up to Christmas to really reflect what it really means to us, to each one of us, and what that means to how we live and what it means to the world that we find ourselves in. And C.S. Lewis, the children's author, wrote this, and I thought this quote was so good. Once in our world... A stable had something in it that was bigger than our whole world. Once in our world, a stable had something in it that was bigger than our whole world. And this morning and the coming weeks, we're going to be focusing on that which was bigger that came in a stable. And we're going to base our text from John's letter, the first chapter, just the first 14 verses. And today, next week, and on Christmas Day, you're going to hear various parts of that passage. And we're going to look at it in detail and what it means. And we're going to link it with Old Testament prophecy and with references to the actual birth of Jesus. Because as we know, Christmas is about God being with us, Emmanuel, God becoming flesh. So if you've got your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to turn to John chapter 1, and we're going to read the first 14 verses, but then we're going to focus this morning just on the first five. And John starts like this. I have to say this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. I just love this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God, and his name was John. He came as a witness to the light concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made by him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, not of human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling 
among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In the beginning was the word. And I don't know about you, but it reminds us right at the start of Genesis. In the beginning. And John says, right at the beginning was the word. Now you might think, what on earth is the word? Now I'm going to ask you to bear with me on this because it's important we understand what this means because it's life-changing to us. And um, a lot of Greek Greek philosophers, philosophers, (laughs) philosophers, you know who I mean. (laughs) They believed that the word, which in Greek was the logos, was the principle, the reason for the cosmic, that behind everything, there was a harmony and a balance. Even more than that, they believed that this harmony and balance was the reason for existence, the very purpose for life. And And Tom Keller explains it like this. He said, they all believed this was intrinsic to Greek belief, that there was this logos. But different people believed the logos was different things. So the Stoics would believe, well, everything just happens. And in a way, I've got friends like that, and they'll say, well, that's how it is. It is what it is. That's life. Just accept it as it is. And then there were others who had thought the reason for life was to make it a better place for those who were to come after you. Now, that's a very, very noble and good thing. And today, we see that, don't we? We see those who make decisions on climate change, um, on equality, and lots of things. And they're good things, and they're things that, as a Christian, you know, I'm not, please don't think I'm deriding them. I'm not, they're important but they're not the purpose to our existence. I do believe being a Christian, it has an outworking, and it has an outworking in social justice and all kinds of areas and how we live, but they're not the purpose for existence. And then there were others who just believed the Logos was, find what makes you happy and do it. That's fine, just do what makes you happy. And again, we see a lot of that today, don't we? What do people live for? Maybe it's the football. Maybe it's a career. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's all kinds of things. And many things are really good. But that is their purpose, their logos. And the Greeks, they knew there was a logos and they all had different logos. And I guess 2023 is no different. And yet, John says, but there is a Logos. And he says in verse 2, he was present originally with God. Verse 3, he made all things through his word, and without him nothing was made. Verse 4, in him was life. In other words, this Logos 
It's not a way of thinking. It's not a, a moral code. It's a person. And then he goes on in verse 1 and he says, this logos, the word, was with God and he is God. So he's a person, but he's a divine person. And he goes on in verse 3 and says, everything was created by him. Not one thing was created that he didn't create. Why? Because he's uncreated. He was there at the beginning. He's a divine person who is uncreated. And then he goes on and he says, and this logos is the source of all life. Verse four, in him was life. And verse five, he is the source of all light and he is the light. And he says the darkness couldn't understand it. And that actually means the darkness couldn't compress it. It can't change it. It can't put it down. It can't extinguish it. It can't change its substance. And the darkness tries, but this logos is there. And he overcomes the darkness. And then in verse 14, he says, this word became flesh. This word is Jesus. So John's getting over the idea that this logos isn't a moral code. It's not a set of beliefs. It's a person, a divine person whom can be known and is to be loved. And to find this logos is the reason and the purpose for existence. N.T. Wright puts it like this. He says, John is saying, the incarnation of the eternal word is the event for which the whole of creation was on tiptoe for. This event that we celebrate and call Christmas, all of creation was on tiptoe for because the logos was becoming flesh and blood. And I think it's interesting, and I'm probably going off a bit here, that he's never, Jesus is never referred to the word again in John's gospel. But I really think that John wants us to look at him through that lens. So that when we look at when he, he meets the woman at the well, this is what it's like when the divine becomes flesh and dwells amongst us. When he turns the water into wine, when he's confronted by Pilate, in the crucifixion and the resurrection, he wants us to look through the lens that Jesus is the Logos. He is the reason for existence. And if Jesus is the Logos, that changes everything. And it changes everything for you and I as believers. And as believers, we've come to that point of recognition, haven't we? But I've thought about this and, and, and I really believe that, but I felt the Lord say, if that is what you really believe, that should affect every aspect of our lives. If we believe that Jesus is the Logos, is the reason for our existence, that affects how we are when we go to work tomorrow. That affects how we are when we're working with that one person who just presses all the wrong buttons for us. That affects us when we get in the car and the 
man behind us tailgates us all the time. It makes a difference. If Jesus is the logos for you and I, if he's the reason for our existence, it affects how we spend our money. It affects how we view our money because suddenly it's not ours, it's his. It affects what we have. It affects our time. It affects how we spend our time. It affects what we think. It affects how we treat our possessions. It affects how we are when we're not okay, where we run to. It affects how we are when we are okay. Because he's still the logos. He's still the reason for existence. He's still the purpose to life. He affects everything that we do and how we approach it. He wants to be the one that drives us. He wants to be the one that is the center and the focus. Jesus is the living word and light. And John's saying it changes everything. And in verse five where it says, and the darkness cannot put it out. It's not just a powerful piece of scripture. I guess for us as Christians, that is life-changing because not we have experienced that light. We have that light within us and that light wants to bring healing. And even this morning, there have been words about people who maybe need a touch from God, who need peace, who need healing in some area. And as God is shining his light in your heart, I want to encourage you, don't cower away from that. You know, the thing about light is it shows up everything, doesn't it? As Peter Kay says, put the big light on. <laughs> but the only trouble is when you put the big light on, you see everything. Now, in our house, Graham lights lots of little lights. <laughs> Soft, muted lighting in the lounge. I like the big light going on. <laughs> but the only trouble with the big light is it shows every little mark on the carpet it shows up everything, doesn't it? <laughs> so we can cower away from it. But when Jesus shines his light, it's not for us to think like, oh, that's awful. It's for him to illuminate things in our lives that, yeah, he wants to change, but his light and love want to bring healing. It's for a purpose for more of his light to shine through. And maybe this morning, God wants to illuminate some things in our lives. Maybe he wants to illuminate some things that maybe we've withheld. Maybe we've been carrying worry. Maybe we've been carrying unforgiveness. And I just believe maybe this morning, he wants his light and us to allow him to let his light illuminate those areas of our lives that maybe he's not quite been our purpose, our logos, and let his light shine. You know, I love Christmas, as I said, but the danger is we can think it's all about comfort and joy, can't we? It's all about comfort and joy and a nice stable and a lo lovely nativity. And don't get me wrong, I love it as much as anybody. 
But in John 1, it's quite clear. Christmas is about comfort and joy, but it's about denial. It's about rejection. It's about there not being room for the logos. And we can't miss that because that's the reality of it, isn't it? And that's why the light wants to shine. And no matter how much the darkness tries to press the light down, it can't. And you and I have a real opportunity to let that light shine. Because Christmas is about the angel saying, good news today, a saviour has been born because we need a saviour. And in a few weeks, we've got a wonderful opportunity, haven't we, to, to invite people to come along and just hear the good news that Jesus Christ became flesh and blood for us. As we've said, we're in Advent. And then we come to Christmas and after Christmas, we have Epiphany, which is when the light has come. But in one sense, I was thinking about this, we live in Epiphany now, yeah. don't we? Because we've had that revelation of who Jesus is. So as we're coming up to Christmas, let's keep Jesus as our Logos. Let's ask him personally, what is it, Lord? What area do you want to illuminate in my life that do I need to let your light shine. Secondly, this word is to be trusted. He is completely true to his word. He's true to what was said about him. And Laura made reference to this before. But isn't it wonderful that Christmas isn't God's plan B? Isn't it wonderful? It wasn't like he sat down and thought, oh my goodness, what a mess have they made. What shall I do about it? Oh, maybe. No, Christmas was not God's plan B. It was in God's heart from the beginning because he knew that we would mess up. But his love was so, is so great for us. In the story of Luke, and we've not time to read it this morning, but in the story of Luke 1, when the angel comes to Mary... And he tells her that she's going to conceive this baby. He says in verse 32, he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his forefather, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob throughout the ages. And of his reign, there will be no end. The angel wasn't just thinking up some nice words. As Laura made reference, he was quoting to what Isaiah had prophesied over 700 years before, Isaiah had said, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. He was prophesying, he was speaking out what had been prophesied hundreds of years before. In chapter 7 of Isaiah, he prophesied exactly, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. None of it happened by incidence. 
It wasn't coincidence. It was God's plan. And when God says something hundreds of years before, you can guarantee he will fulfill what he has said. And we can go on. In Micah, he, in Micah 5, he prophesied that the child would be born in Bethlehem. Matthew in his gospel takes back the lineage of Jesus back to Abraham. Luke says he goes back to Adam, but John goes right back to the beginning because he's the uncreated divine person, the Logos, and he's been there at the beginning. And you know what? He had you and me in his heart right at the beginning. I think that is just mind-blowing. There are many Old Testament prophecies concerning the coming of the Messiah. What it would be like, where he would be born. But you know what? There wasn't one that said when. There wasn't one that said when. And as Laura mentioned this morning, traditionally, this is Hope Sunday. Now, I didn't know that. I only found that out this past couple of weeks. But I guess it's Hope Sunday because there is hope in all the prophecies that were prophesied about Jesus coming as the Messiah. And it stirs hope because God fulfilled his prophecy. But do you know what? It's also Hope Sunday because God has prophesied that Jesus will return. And in fact, if you look into that, there are far more prophecies and references to Jesus' return than when he came the first time. Apparently, there are 17 books in the Old Testament that mention Jesus returning. And in the New Testament, out of 23, out 27, 23 make reference to it. That this everlasting Logos is coming again. But this time he's not coming in insignificance. He's not coming in a stable. He's going to come as a king. And in Revelation, it says every eye will see him. And we've sung that this morning. He's coming as a king. And it also tells in Revelation, he's coming as a judge. And I don't know about you, but when I see some of the wicked and, and cruel things that are happening, you think, yeah, that's really good that God is going to sort things out. But equally, where are we? Is he our logos? Is he our purpose? And if he's coming back, how does that affect how we live? How does that affect how I, I want to share that with my friends? Not in a way that I'm like, they feel like I'm Bible bashing them, but I want them to know. I want them to know. You know, there were many prophecies about the birth of Jesus, and there's many prophecies about his coming. But like the birth, it doesn't say when he will return. It tells us the signs. It tells us that the stage is being set, but it doesn't tell us exactly when. But we can live in the promise of that hope. But it has a responsibility on us, doesn't it? Are we living in the light? 
The word is the purpose, the very reason for existence. He can be totally trusted. His word is totally reliable. N.T. Wright says this, the whole of creation and evenly, even the carefully prepared people of God themselves are quite unready for this event of Jesus coming. Jew and Gentile alike, hearing the strange word, are casting anxious glances at one another. They knew that he was coming and they didn't see him. I have some sympathy if I'm honest. They'd got all these prophecies, but for 400 years, there's nothing recorded. It was almost as if God was silent. And if I'm honest, I don't like it if God's silent for a few days. <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm really praying about something, I'm at it, Lord, just give me a word. Just, just give me some reassurance that you're here. I struggle waiting four years. Four months, and they waited 400 years. And so in that time, they're like hearing had got dull. Maybe their eyes had got a bit like they'd gone off the ball. Well, God said it, but will it happen? When will it happen? Well, it might not happen. Did we hear him right? And we can be like that, can't we? We can be like that. And yet in Galatians 4, verse 4, this is what Paul writes. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. Or as the Amplified puts it, but when the proper time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born subject to the law. Not late, but in God's time. And God's timing is perfect. His timing when he sent Jesus was perfect. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you're holding and waiting for something and praying for something and God has said it, his timing is perfect. He won't come early. He won't come late. If I'm honest, sometimes I think his timing is interesting. <laughs> but he comes suddenly. There's those suddenly moments, aren't there? And the number of times when there's been a suddenly moment and you think, ah, oh, Lord, this is what you meant. This is what it was. Let's not be asleep. Let's be ready for God's timing. The fullness of time. God sent his son at the fullness of time. Let's not lose heart if we're waiting. Abraham, he had to wait. And it was, we know he tried to help God along because he got a bit fed up of the waiting and that made a mess. Let's hold on to what God has promised because God is there and his time is perfect. In the fullness of time, he sent his son. If God has promised you something, hold on to it. Don't lose heart. Let's this Christmas, let's ride at the start now. Let's just reflect again. Let Jesus be the reason for our existence. What does that mean? Every aspect of our lives. What is it? What part of your life? What part of my life is it that God's challenging me? That he wants to shed his light and bring change.
he can be totally trusted. His word is true. What he's promised, he fulfills. He promised to come, he came. He promises he will come again, he will come again. Let us live in the light of that. And with that in our focus. And let's hold on to what he has promised. His time is perfect. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. As we focus again on how you became a baby. I once in a stable, there was something that was far bigger than our whole world that was in that stable. We just want to thank you for the miracle of that, Lord. We want to pray, Lord, that this, in this whole season, Lord, that you will be our logos, that you will be our purpose, our whole reason, Lord, for living. We pray, Father, that, that we'll allow your light and it, to shed it, its light and illumination in each one of our hearts. Lord, touch us on those areas where we, we just need your light to shine. We thank you that the darkness cannot overcome it, Lord. Lord, on those areas of maybe disappointment, those areas of unforgiveness, those areas that we just want to keep for ourselves. Bring your healing and your restoration, Lord. We thank you, Father, that your word is totally dependable. We thank you that you, the word, fulfilled everything that was written about you. We thank you for just the, that you are truth, that you are totally dependable, that we can trust your word because you are who you say you are, that you are the truth, the way and the life, that you cannot lie. Father, we thank you for the wonderful truth that Jesus is coming back and that he's not coming back as a baby but he's coming back and everyone will see him. And yet, Lord, we recognize that that in itself brings a massive challenge, Lord. And so, Father, we want to pray that our lives might be, we might be living in the light of that, Lord. We need your light to shine in our hearts, Lord. We want to be children of the light, children of God. Lord, help us to live our lives, that we have a, a passion to share that with others. while we're in this time of epiphany. And Lord, we thank you that your timing is perfect. We thank you that at the right time, at the fulfilled time, you sent your son. Lord, I pray that for all of us who are waiting and trusting you, Lord, to hold on to that word, that at the right time, Father, we pray that even in the waiting, Lord, that you will be our logos. You'll be our, just be our complete source and focus, Lord. Just have your place. 
Father, keep our ears and eyes and our spiritual ears and eyes open and ready not to, to miss those suddenly moments, Lord. We expect and anticipate them. And we thank you, Father, that we can totally trust you for what you've promised. So in Jesus' name, Lord, I pray that you will just cause us to focus again on you, the living word and the living light. Amen.